Okay. This year is dedicated memory of David Wicks. Zichrono Livrachad by his loving family. And I've spoken uh, often about uh, the nature of uh, David being a very special person. And we all feel strongly his loss. I, I'd like to kind of set up the, uh, like the, the parasha Kitavo, the parasha Kitavo ends with brachot and klalot. Very, very long and detailed. If you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you're going to get bad. And these klalot are very extensive in the parish of Kitavo, and they're taken very seriously. So there are these kinds of odd min hagim. I mean, I, odd, the word odd is mine. Uh, when the Balkore reads this parasha, he reads it quietly, which of course is kind of counter-indicated because the whole point is to hear the Kriyata Torah. But somehow you, we feel that if you say it loud, it would be almost a negative omen. Like you're sort of saying bad things about B'nai Israel. So we say it quietly. Also, also uh, the minhag in many, many places is not to call up somebody to the Torah to read the klalot. So they usually, the person who gets that aliyah is the Baal Korah. Because he's sort of like the default personality. So the klalot in Kitavo are taken very seriously. I'm not going to talk about the content of them, but I would like to try to place them into some sort of context. Now, everybody knows that these klalot, I mean, there are a small number of brachot and a large number of klalot, and that these klalot parallel, parallel the klalot at the end of the parashat Kudeh. Right? The end of the parashat Kudeh, which is uh, at the end of the book of Vayikra. Right? The end of the book of Vayikra. And, and, and in both cases, they're called Brit. They're called a covenant, an agreement. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. That's the nature of the agreement. But in both places, in both places, at the end of Vayikra and the end of, uh, and here in the Parashat Kitavo, the klalot are very extensive. There are a lot of them. It doesn't just say, if you do bad, you're going to get it. But it says, this is exactly what you're going to get, which itself is a little bit of off, a little off-putting, and that leads to those minhagim that I just mentioned uh, before. Okay? That's, that's what happens. So the first question that you might ask, I mean, Chazal... Uh, put in a lot of effort to distinguish that it's not a, that the language in Kitavo is not exactly the same as the end of Vayikra, and that those distinctions mean something. But I'm I'm, I'm asking a, a thinking in terms of a broader question, like why should the covenant be stated twice? Why can't you just go back? and say, why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu say, and now that covenant that we didn't use is now in force. So the answer must be that the first covenant was canceled, that the first agreement was denied. Why was it denied? 
because B'nai Yisrael did not accept their part of the bargain, which included going to Eretz Yisrael. You remember that the beginning of the parasha, uh, the book of Bamidbar, right? We were talking about the end of Vayikra, the book of Bamidbar. Bamidbar Noso, Baalotcha. Those are the first three parashiyot. They talk about the organization, the setup, a few mitzvot. It's hard to justify each detail. I mean, you can, but it's hard. And then suddenly there's Shlach. What is the parasha of Shlach? The Chait Hamaraglim. What's the Chait Hamaraglim? Right, the spies who were sent to, to and came back and reported what they reported. So the Chait Hamaraglim represents a denial of the agreement. A denial of what agreement? That B'nai Yisrael would go to Eretz Yisrael. That was the agreement. This is what the purpose of everything that's happened. So B'nai Yisrael suddenly said, they're not going to Eretz Yisrael. So apparently the fact that they're not going to Eretz Yisrael abrogated the covenant of the end of Ayikra. And therefore it had to be restated. A new covenant. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the old covenant which was negated by the fact that B'nai Yisrael didn't want to go to Eretz Canaan and the new covenant which also led to the same thing ultimately there would be an exile from Eretz Yisrael to Ashur to Bavel to Romi I mean, so maybe the, that covenant will also be uh, negated I just want to remind you that the parasha after Kitavo, parasha after Kitavo, is Nitzavim Nitzavim. The fir- first pasuk in Nitzavim, Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem. What does that mean? What is Nitzavim? That you're standing tall, that you're solidly implanted, that you're not moving. In other words, the difference between covenant number one and covenant number two, I think, if you look at the, we'll look maybe at the Pasha of Nitzavim next week, but the difference is that the, that covenant number two was was designed to be immutable. It's always there. Doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how much we're punished. It doesn't matter how bad there is. The covenant is always in place. So we always know if you do good, it'll be good, and if you do bad, it's going to be bad. Whereas covenant one, as soon as B'nai Yisrael did not agree to one of the conditions which was to go to Eretz Yisrael, so the whole thing, there was no covenant. It was all, it was all, all, all negated. It was all negated. Okay? So that somehow, so this represents, I think, the parasha of Kitavo in some way, the same way as the parasha of Kudek represents the end of the first attempt to go to Eretz Yisrael. The parasha of Kitavo represents, I think, the end of the Torah. That's the end of the Torah with a little bit of Nitzavim and Vayelech, right? I mean, it's true, you, get, you always have to mop up, right? There's always something left out. So Nitzavim is about the immutable nature of the covenant. And Vayelech also uh, 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 contains the parasha of Tshuva. Tshuva, you remember? It's like a word people use this time of year. So the parasha, what is the parasha of Tshuva about? It's about Dvarim Perik Lamed. What is the parasha of, of Tshuva about? That we will return to Eretz Yisrael. It's a promise. It's not about 
individual tshuva, even though the Rabban says it is, but it doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like it's about what we call tshuva. If a person does something wrong, so he can repent. It's not about that. It's about the entire nation of Israel. It's about, it's, it's about the thrust of history. That history will bring us back to Eretz Yisrael in, in any event. In any event, no matter what happens. God promises we'll come back to Eretz Yisrael. So it's sort of like saying it can't happen again. What happened the first time? What happened the first time? The Chet Maraglim. What was the Chet Maraglim? A denial of Eretz Yisrael. That denial, that denial was kind of accepted. Okay, B'nai Israel, and and somehow the the punishment was a new generation, a new covenant, a new group. Something new would happen, and that was validated now in the end of the Torah in the parasha of Kitavo. Nitzavim Vayelech. Okay? Got, yeah? They both take place in the same location, right? The first morning, I mean, they're both standing in the same place, just one is 40 More years or less. Yeah. Because then after that, they go around the, the desert, they come back to Arvot Moab. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, that there are several deviations in this covenant number two that don't appear at all in covenant number one. Right? The covenant number one is brachot and klalot. Covenant number two is brachot and klalot. But there's an extra piece in the parish of Kitavo, and that's what I you have here on the sheet. These psukim. Let's read the psukim. Moshe v'zikdei Yisrael. By itself, Moshe he commanded them, So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Like introductory. You have to keep all the mitzvot. He says it again and again and again in Tvarim, anticipating the fact that they weren't going to do that. I mean, you don't just repeat something that is pointless over and over again. But you see at the end of the parasha of Vayelech, Right? Moshe uh, Rabbeinu says, I know that you're going to become idolatrous. I know that you're going to do that. So that was Moshe Rabbeinu's mindset. So by Yitzav Moshe, Shamor et kol ha-mitzvah shonor b'tzovet chemayom. Second pasuk. Vaya bayom asher ta'avru et ha-yardein el ha-aretz asher ha-shem elokech al-dotein l'cha v'akimoti l'cha v'anim didolot v'sadeta otam v'sid. There's some story about Avanim Gidolot. When you pass over the Jordan River, you're supposed to set up Avanim, stones. What are these stones about? So it says, Pasuk Gimel, V'chatavta alehem et kol devrei Torah azot ba'avrecha, ba'avrecha, l'man asher tavol la'aretz asher Hashem elokecha dotein lecha, Write the whole Torah on these stones and somehow that will create a gateway into Eretz Canaan. It's very hard for me to understand what ex- how this looked, what was happening, how they wrote it. The Gemara tries, the Gemara in Sota tries to try to figure out certain things but not perfectly. 
The next pasuk says, "Vayaba Abraham pasuk Dalit." No, I just read that, right? But pasuk hey, "Ubanita sham isbech l'Hashem lokecha misbach avanim lo tanif alehem barzel." So stones on which the entire Torah is written. That's one thing. The second thing is mizbeach. And what is lotanif alehem barzel? They should be unhewn stones. I never know how to say that word. But you don't like square them off and make them into a shape. You take them as they are and you can build them. You can see if you walk around Yerushalayim, you'll see most of the buildings are built with hewn stones. Like you block them off and put them into place, it's easy. But now and then you have walls or barriers that are built with just odd stones, odd shaped stones. They just break a big stone into little stones and then you use that to build with. Here you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to use hewn stones for building a Mizbeach. Avanim shlemotiv et Mizbeach Hashem alokecha. You should make a mizbeach, an altar, and then uh, olot. Olot are sacrifices that are completely burnt. Right? They all are lashem. They're all for God. So it's a, like a very uh, a spiritual kind of korban. So about other korban out are eaten partially by kohanim, partially by the baalim. So I guess they're less intensively spiritual. But Allah, Allah is something that, you know, you can't really get to. You can't connect to an, to an Allah. Pasuk Zayim is Samachta Shlameim, Samachta Sham, Samachta Lepnei Hashem Elokecha, Samachta. There are places in the, there are many places in the Chumash, many places. There are several places in the Chumash where, it, uh, where the Chumash points out that mitzvot have to be done with simcha. Mitzvot have to be done with simcha. And here too, it says, you're doing a mitzvah. The mitzvah is you built the mitzvah, you, you, you set up the stones, you wrote the Torah. So, again, Except this time it uses the words Be'er Hetev, right? You know those words? Be'er Hetev. See Rashi? Rashi. You see Pasuk Hei? Be'shivim Lashon. What does that mean? No, no, I, I, I know what the words mean. This is the second time in the book of Tzvarim that Rashi explains the phrase Be'er Hetev in this way. Right, the first time is in Perik Aleph and Varim, the fifth Pasuk, and, and now here. When Rashi says Veshivim Lashon, it means it's with a face to the non Jews. I mean, who speaks Shivim Lashon? Not us, them. So this is, the, this is the, the Rashi position, right? I mean, I don't know. And you could talk about Rashi from like the the psychological point of view, the sociological point of view. You know, Rashi did not live in a world in which the relationship between the Jews and the Christians was so terrific. But here, Rashi says, the Jewish people have an obligation 
to teach the Torah to everybody in the world. That's what Rashi says. And that that obligation, that obligation is carried out in this, at this point in history. Right? When the Jews crossed the Jordan River, where exactly they set up the stones? But someplace they set up these stones. And someplace they wrote on the stones the entire Torah. And they wrote it, Bishivim Lashon. So as a practical matter, it's a little hard to understand how you could do that. But as an idea, it makes sense. It makes sense as what happened to the Jews. They just spent 40 years with themselves. Right? They were, they were trying to improve, trying to be better than they were. I mean, maybe not always, but Moshe Rabbeinu was certainly, as a teacher, trying to move them along, the moral ladder, the ethical ladder, uh, uh, to do ma'asim tovim, to accept obligations, but they were working within themselves. Now they're going to come to us, they're coming into a new situation. And the result of that new situation could either be they become haughty, they say, oh, we're really better than all these people. Or that they realize they have an obligation. And the obligation is that now that they know something about better, they have to share that something with the other people in the world. And that's Meshivim Lashon. And it's a Rambam, it's a famous Rambam at the end of Hilchot Melachim. The Rambam at the end of the Hilchot Melachim. Hilchot Melachim is the last section of the Yad HaZakah. And these are the last halachot in the last section of the Yad HaZakah. I guess the Rambam thought no one would ever get up to them. You know, if you started from the beginning, you would never get, what does the Rambam, what does the Rambam say? What does the Rambam say? He says, you know, you know in history, we had this obligation I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not quoting. But if you want to see what the Rambam really says, you could look. The Rambam says, you know, in history we had this obligation to teach people about God, to teach people about Torah, to teach people about good and bad and reward and punishment. So we couldn't do it because we were too busy learning Gemara. If you learn Gemara, you don't have really a lot of time to talk to people in the street, right? So what happened? We convinced, we convinced Jesus that he should do it for us. And after that, we convinced Muhammad that he should do it for us. And they did. And they did, and so it's okay. So in that way, we fulfilled our obligation. We build our guys. We hired these two guys, who spread the word, and were very successful. They were very successful in the world, and we kept learning Gemara. That's what the Rambam. That's what the Rambam says. So the obligation of Be'er David doesn't say this. Now I'm just putting it back together. That the obligation of Be'er David is an obligation, apparently, to spread the word. Right. This idea of spreading the word. This idea of spreading the word exists by in Chazal from the beginning. You know, that was Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was the man of spreading the word. Right? He tried very hard. He tried very hard to get people uh, to follow his ideas, to accept the fact that God created the world. There was a dominion, had Just dominion like over the word. Where, where this is in the Rambam. Hilchot the last two halachot in the last chapter. In the old Rambams, they edited out. 
but in the new Rambams printed in Israel, they're all included. They were edited out. There was self self censorship. It was the Jews who printed the Rambam who were afraid that the Goyim might not like it, so they took it out. The Jews took it out. It was not uh, an act of uh, the church or something like that. So here it is. Hey, chet. We did chet. Okay. So then it says. You'll do what you're supposed to do. I mean, this is part of the deal. Okay, so now we have the introduction. The introduction is their stones that they set up someplace, the Torah written on the stones. There's a Mizbeach, there's Olot, there's Simcha, there's Be'er Hetev. All of that is Moshe Rabbeinu's sort of general introduction. Now Moshe Rabbeinu says, Pasuk Yudbet. Pasuk Yudbet. Elu yamdu levarechet ha'am al ha'grizim, ba'abrechem et ha'yardein, Shimon ve'levi, ve'yudah ve'yitzachah ve'yosef ve'yamid. So you know that near Shechem there are these two hills. One is called Grizim, and the other is called Eval. And uh, so there was some kind of a setup. There was the Hamli Shvatim. Is this Sh- uh, Shimon Levi Yehuda Isova Yosef Binyamin? It's six. Ve'le yamdu ala klala b'har eval Ruvein Gad v'Ashes v'Lun Dan b'Naftali. Another six. There are six on this hill and six on that hill. And then va'anu halaviyim v'amru kol ish Yisrael kol Ram. And then Anu Halaviyim, and the Gemara explained the Leviyim were in the middle. And first they turned to Har Guizim and they said the Brachot, and then they turned to Har Eval, they said Klalot. So introducing these Brachot is the word Baruch. Baruch, but now introducing the Klalot, interestingly enough, is a strange word. Pasuk Tetvav. Arur Ha'ish Asher Yasef Pesel Masichato Abad Hashem. I said, I don't know what that word means exactly. If you want to say it means cursed, you can say that. I don't know what that means either. So I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape. And then it talks about Pesel and Masachah, Bodhisattva. That you can't do a Bodhisattva. And so. What's the big deal? We know that you can't do it, but it's in the Ten Commandments, if I remember correctly. I mean, what, what, what do you need? why would they need to say Arur about Zorah? And then it says, you see, Masei Dei Harash, some kind of artisan, Visham Baseite, you hide it away. Just hide it away. What does it have to do with anything? If you find it, you find it. You don't find it, you don't find it. Okay, let's look at the Rashi to Pasuk Bet, just to fill in the blank. Lebarechet ha'am, right, six on one side, six on the other side. Kide'ita b'masechet sota. This is what it says in the Masechet called sota. Shisha shvatim alul rosh har guizim, shisha le rosh har eval. 
six on Krizim and six on Ebal. Ba'koadim va'leviyim va'arod lemata ba'emtsa, and the leviyim and the kohanim and the arod would below in the valley between these hills. Of chuleviyim pina peneim klapei har Krizim upatchu bebracha, and they they first looked to har Krizim and they started with bracha, and what did they say? Baruch ha'ish ashelo yaseh pesel umasecha. You know, there was this, these brachot are not written in the Chumash, but in the Gemara it says they were just the opposite of the Klalot. So brachot are not here, but the Klalot are. So we're left with this question of, of Arur. What does the word Arur mean? What does the word Arur mean? So I wanted to find that out. So in the old days, old days the way I would do that is take my, my trusty concordance, and look it up and see if I could get something out of that. But today I googled it. Put the concordance out of business. Now, a few books I had that are sort of out of business. So, so there are 36 times <laughs> in the Tanakh that the word appears. So that didn't help me much. But when I look at the ones that I remembered, you know, look at the, the first one on the list, is Vayomer Hashem Elokim Elanachash. Remember the snake in Gan Eden? He was a bad guy, the snake. Ki asita zot. Because of what you did, Arur ata mikol habeimav kol chayata sadeh. You are Arur. More than any other animal. How, why? What's the Arur of the Nachash? So the Pasuk says, you're going to go on your stomach. That's how you're not going to have legs. Right? You'll eat dust all the days of your life. You're going to be on the ground. I mean, what are you going to eat? Right? You're not going to get a medicine tomato sandwich. That's how you're going to do it. That's Arur. As it says in the Pasuk, Arur Ata. It says it. Arur Ata. You're going to go on your stomach. Okay? Uh, the next pasuk is That's Kayin. What? Ma? Asher patsta et pia lakachet et mei achicha miyadecha. That's Kayin. What was Cain's punishment? That he wandered around all the time. And how did everybody know that that was Cain wandering around all the time? He had a mark on his forehead. He had a mark on his forehead. Right? So the snake, Arur, went on its stomach. Cain, Arur, he had this mark on his head, which everybody knew was him. Right? Then, Vayom Arur Kenan with Noach, so it seemed to me, just from these cases, that arur doesn't mean that you're going to get punished. Like the Torah says, if you do some, if you mechal uh, Shabbos, if you mechal Shabbos, your punishment is skila. That's a that's a statement, right? It's over. You get punished, and the punishment ends. If the punishment was financial 
or the punishment was Malkot. So you'd get the punishment and that would be the end. That would be the end of that story. Then you go back and try to rehabilitate yourself. But what is Arur? Arur is where it follows you around. Where you always know. You see that person, you say, it, it's not Arur, the punishment. The punishment is that you are the one who carries the punishment with you. It, it's always clear who you are. So in this list of Arurs, which contain Isurim, prohibitions that the Torah said, you should do, you shouldn't do idolatrous, uh, be idolatrous, you shouldn't uh, 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 curse your parents, you, you, know, you shouldn't have illicit sexual relations. All of these things are mentioned elsewhere, but not under the rubric of Arur. That if Arur means, if Arur means to carry something with you, so everybody could see, everybody could notice, everybody could notice, right? When is that, when, when was this idea of Arur invented about B'nai Israel? When they had the obligation to teach the fundamental principles of the Torah to the rest of the world. What does Arur mean? In that case, Arur means you're not going to be able to do it. That's the Arur. You're not going to be able to because people are going to look at you and say, oh, they have the Torah and they don't do it. They don't keep the Torah, so why should we keep the Torah? So that if there was a Navi, if there's a Navi who could go and, and try to proselytize or try to explain or try to make say, but if that Navi can say, well, look, you know, these people with the Torah, they're all crooks, they're all, they're all denying uh, authority. They don't, uh, so, so you won't be able to do it. You won't be able to pass on that knowledge as you are supposed to bear a tape. You won't be able to, so that's what Arur is. Arur is not that if you do this Avera, you're going to be punished. That's already stated in criminal law. But if you do this Avera, you're going to be Arur. Arur means you carry it with you all the time. Everybody knows that you're the one who did it. And if everybody knows that you're the one who did it, everybody knows that you're the one, the one who did it, you won't be able, you won't be able to teach the world what it is that you're supposed to be able to teach them. Which, you know, everybody agrees, the description of the Rambam in the Messianic era. What's the Rambam say about the Messianic era, right? I'm not saying that everybody agrees with the Rambam. But the Rambam is at least certainly a position. The Rambam says the Messianic era will be the same as, as us. You know, we'll have to get up, unfortunately, and go to work. And we'll have to pay the bills. And we'll have to keep the, the Torah and the Halacha. So what's going to be special about the Messianic era? So the Rambam says... It'll be special because there'll be, it'll be a new political situation in the world. Instead of nations hating each other and hating us, everybody will get along. That'll be the political reality in the time of, in the, time of the Mashiach. How come everybody will get along? How come? Because everybody will see that getting along with the Torah is a good idea. Everybody, so everybody will have this ability to see something good in the Torah, which according to the Rambam doesn't mean that they'll become Jewish or they'll become halachic or they'll be interested in the details of halachic observance. They'll just understand that there's something special. So that this idea, and the Mizbeach and the Abba all of this, all of these ideas, 
you know, according to the Rambam, coalesce to a new situation at the time of the Messianic. That's what he calls the Messianic era. The Messianic era is a time of understanding. A time of understanding. And our, our uh, time is a time of misunderstanding. You know, when people can't figure out, like people who are religious or claim, claim religion, right? People who, who believe in God. Uh, they, but they hate each other, which itself is strange. He said, why, why should people who, who see that the world is a certain kind of world or created world, why should they hate each other? They should be happy about each other, I guess. Or at least it should be equally possible. But it doesn't seem to be possible. Does he do so That's the messianic here according to, according to the Rambam. One more point. One more point which I think uh, has to be made. The last pasuk of the Arurim. If you look at the text, it says, it says, Pasuk uh, uh, You see the very last pasuk of the Arurs. I'm not going through all these Arurs, but the last pasuk is, Arur asher lo yakim et zot lasototam. Arur, a person who does not establish a, a place positively, somehow the Tivreya Torah Zot, Ratzototam. So of course the Mephoshim, what does that mean? Up to now we talked about specific transgressions. What, what is this transgression? Aru, you're going to curse somebody. Yakim at Tivreya Torah Zot. What could that possibly of course, it fits in very nicely with what I've said, but it doesn't fit in so nicely with the other psukim. And I figure that's a question. Uh, so look at the Rashi. See the last Rashi on the page there? Ashelo Yakim. Ashelo Yakim. Kan Kalal et Kol HaTorah Kula. This refers to the entirety of the Torah. Vikibluha Alehem Alau B'Shu'ah. They accepted the entirety of the Torah with an oath. Allah and Shua are, are synonyms. Uh, an oath. They, so that this is kind of, according to Rashi, a summarizing puzzle. Like Moshe, he says, do this and do that and the other thing. And they say, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Nevertheless, why is it Aru? Why is it a separate Aru? They've been... They've been told to keep the Torah many times. I mean, what what is what does it got to do with the arurs? Why 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 did, why is it arur about saying you're going to keep the Torah? I mean, you could say that this last pasuk is the arurs. There are only like ten of them, so you need some pasuk to tell you even everything's not mentioned above everything. Okay. But it doesn't get me too into it. Let's look at the Ramban. You have to learn this Ramban. It's a very important, very important. So we'll try to learn the Ramban. Ramban. This refers to the entirety of the Torah. And they accepted it upon themselves with an oath. Lashon Rashi. Right? You know that... Uh, that when the Ramban quotes Rashi, it means yeah, very, he has a lot of respect for Rashi and he's going to disagree with it. Or at the very least, he's going to enhance 
what Rashi said. The Shon Rashi. In my opinion, it's like saying I disagree. When you say in my opinion. This acceptance she yode be mitzvot belibo, he should uh, 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 accept the mitzvot in his heart, and that he should look upon them as being true. Viyamin shows se otam, and he has to believe that if you do the mitzvot, yellow sachar betova, rover lehem yanesh. And somebody who denies the mitzvot will be punished. So what he says is yakim et Torah hazot. It means that there are general principles that that are connected to the Torah, which you have to accept. And if you don't accept those general principles, then you are arur. Then there's a curse that will be upon your uh, upon you. If he denies any one of these things, right? that there are mitzvot, and that they are true, and that you have to do them, get sachar, o batala lo'olam, or he thinks that they're not important. Hinehu aru. So then he becomes cursed, that's what the Ramban says. Avalim avar alachat mehem, but if he only denies one, kigon shachal, hachazir, v'asheketz, letavato, if he just eats tray food, because he's hungry or desires that he heard a lot about eating tray food. Somebody doesn't build a sukkah. He doesn't have a lulav because he's lazy. He's not included in this pasuk. The pasuk says, we're not talking about somebody who doesn't do things. We're talking about somebody who doesn't think things, who has the wrong way of thinking about things. Ela amar asher lo That's what it says in the pasuk. Laasot kedam kiyimu vekiblu hayudim. That's what it says in Esther that they accepted upon themselves the Torah and then they did it. And this produces the curse of those who deny the Torah. So in the way that we were talking, this, would, this fits in. In other words, the, the people around the, the Jewish people uh, are able to discern when the, uh, when the people are denying the Torah by the fact that they don't do mitzvot. But apparently they could also discern that people are denying the Torah by the fact that they don't think highly of the Torah that they don't support the idea that the mitzvot are from God and that God created the world and that there is sachar ba'odesh reward and punishment. And therefore, that is also something that is denied. I think it fits in with what we said before. But the Rabban doesn't stop here. It was, he sort of enhances, I would say, what Rashi says. He didn't kind of deny it, but he enhances it. Now the Rabban, look at the Rabban. Yushalmi, you see that line? Which in my text is highlighted in orange. You shall me the soka. You shall me. It's amazing that they knew all this stuff. Raiti ashelo yakim. The Gemara asks. The Pesuk says ashelo yakim. You're not going to hold it up. 
וכי יש תורה נופלת? So what do you mean, the Torah falling down? Why, why use that verb? Why use the verb yakim, lahakim, to, to set it up, to make it stand? So the Gemara says, is it fall, is it falling down? Rabbi Shimon ben Yakim, Omer, Zehachazan. So Rabbi Shimon says the reference in the Pasuk is to the Chazan, what we call today Gabai, the person who runs the things in the shul. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalapta Omer, Zebeitin shel Matan. There's no references to the Beitin, to the courts, to the, to the, uh, to the courts in this world. The Marab Yehuda Rabhuna Bashem Shmuel, Allah Dabar Zekarayo Shiyao Bamar, Alayla Hakim. There's a positive in Yeshayao, Yoshiyao, and Yeshayao, where Yoshiyao says, Alayla Hakim, Amar Rabbi Asi, I have to pick it up. Bashem Rabbi Tanchum Bachia, Lamad, Vilimeid, Vishamar, Vasa, Vayasa Fake Biado, Lachzik, Viloichzik. Listen carefully. Rav Tanchum Barchia in the Yerushalmi. He said this. Lamad, a person who learns Torah. Belimeid, he teaches Torah. Vishamar, he kept the Torah. Vasah, he did the Torah. And he could have held it up, the Torah, but he didn't do that. He was too busy, I mean, against commonly helped ideology today. He was too busy doing it for himself, doing it perfectly, doing it as well as you could possibly do it. But, he had time, he could have also done but he didn't. So the, the, he quotes a Yushalmi and the Yushalmi says if a person learns Torah and does the mitzvot as carefully as possible but he doesn't uphold the Torah when he could have when he clearly he shies away from that obligation Again, there's a reference to this verb, Lakim, in the Pasuk. He says, if a person has that kind of power, he was talking about political power, and he has the power to establish Torah learning, to spread Torah learning, to do something in the, in the world, and he doesn't do it. Right? And this is what I meant to say. So that's what, that's what the... Uh, uh, that's what the Yushalmi says, and that's the Yushalmi that the, the Ramban quotes, and he says that the Pshat in the Pasukim is what you, what, what Moshe Rabbeinu, the Levi, and the Quran, and what they're saying to B'nai Israel is, just doing the mitzvot, not just, but doing the mitzvot as a way of avoiding the larger responsibility of whatever is going on outside of the Dalet Abot that you find yourself in, that's Arur. That is simply are deserving of, of a curse. Now this idea 
I'll just say as an interesting, I think as an interesting aside, or as an aside that I find interesting, this idea, this idea that uh, eventually these stones, as it says in, uh, in Yoshua, that these, it's on the, on the other side, that the stones were set up in Shechem, right? Out to Harquizim and Harival, that's Shechem. What's Shechem? What's Shechem? Interestingly, interestingly, in history, right, there is the uh, the king of Ashur brought people from Iyekritim, I guess from someplace in the Mediterranean to live in Eretz Yisrael, and they became known as Samaritans, Shomronim. Shomronim because they lived in Shomron. They lived in Shomron. The interesting part of the story, the Samaritans, some of whom still are alive, not many, but before, after 1948, they had, some were in Shechem, some lived in Shechem, some lived in Chulon. Israel, they had a... Uh, like a, uh, you know, it was like an act of Israeli charity. So they, they built them a shikun, and they lived in Chulon. They, they assimilated into Israelis, becoming Israelis. So every, every time you count them, there are less of them. Instead of more than nobody is trying to wipe them out, but they wiped themselves out. So these Samaritans were brought to Israel, to Eretz Israel at the time, from outside of Eretz Israel, because the king of Assyria had this idea that if you move populations around, the new population will not be as devoted to the land and as unhappy with the conquest as the indigenous population. So they thought it, they thought it was a good idea. So look up the Samaritans. The Samaritans. The Samaritans wanted, so, so I'm sorry, so the Samaritans became what the Tanakh is called Gerei Arayot. They became Jews because they were attacked by lions and they felt that the reason that they were being attacked by the lions was that they did not worship the indigenous divinity. So they decided to become Jewish. And they did become Jewish, and they were very uh, devoted to halacha and to being Jewish. How do I know this? Because the Mishnah says, if a Samaritan bakes a matzah for Pesach, can you, a Jew, eat it? It doesn't say that it has to have the Hechshul Badatz. But if it, if it doesn't have the Hechshul Badatz, you can eat it. Because Chazal said, they do it right. They do the Shechita. Uh, they do it right. They're not Jewish, but they, they think they are, and they do it right. They want to do it in the right way. So, so you're, allowed to, you're allowed to eat it. Now, in history, in history, this may be the reason. You know, when Ezra came back to Eretz Yisrael with the Galut Babel, and then Nehemiah, well, I don't go into that, but Nehemiah, Nehemiah was in charge from, as a representative of the Persian government, building the wall around Yerushalayim. And so they had this, began this ongoing fight, this struggle 
with the Samaritans. Samaritans also wanted to inherit the center of worship. But having lost the Samaritans, having lost to the Jews who came back to Eretz Yisrael, so the Samaritans moved back to Shechem. And they said, they made that, you know, argument that cannot be denied, that the name of the place Yerushalayim is not mentioned ever in the Chumash. It's only referred to El HaMakom, to the place which HaKadosh Baruch Hu will designate as the place. And so they said, it's obviously, when Avram Avinu came to Eretz Yisrael, the first place he went to was Shechem. Thank you very much. And, and, and therefore, the Samaritan said, the Samaritan said, Shechem is the center of worship. Shechem, right? So, why did I tell you this story? Because, because Shechem, in the way we understand it, our tradition is that Shechem became the center, the place from which the moral and ethical values of Torah would be spread to the entire world. And the Samaritans, the Samaritans because they, they were the recipients of this moral and ethical teaching, whatever the reason, I mean, maybe it was the lions, but they accepted upon themselves many of the limitations and of the obligations of Torah, right? They, they kept the Torah in their way. Right, they didn't. They were not part of the development, but they kept the Torah as far as, as they knew, and they knew about it. And so, so where does their where does their strength of conscience or their stream of consciousness come from? It comes from Shechem. It comes from the tablets that were set up. It comes from the mizbeach, the people that the Jews set up. And it was the Jews themselves before they came to Yerushalayim. Now, they came to Yerushalayim four hundred and thirty years later. It was a long time for the 30 years. They only came to Yerushalayim 430 years later, so the first thing they did was say that there's a place in the world which is the center of uh, religious, uh, uh, of, of Torah understanding for the non-Jewish world. Allah came to Samaritans, certainly not Jewish. They never took the trouble to, to convert, right? Which they, of course, admitted. They didn't... Uh, they thought, as was the, the, the policy, I guess, in other countries at that time, that you gain citizenship by just looking that way. They sort of like adopted the customs and the maris of the place, and then you, so they, they became the citizens of Shechem, which is exactly what they should have been. Exactly what they should have been, and, uh, and uh, let Yerushalayim let you shall I am alone. Uh, for, for, there's a, um, there used to be a Samaritan synagogue in the old city, but I think in, in uh, Ramla. Or maybe I'm mixing them Karen. up with the Karaites. Right, it's still there. Which? In, the, in, in there. The well, there's still, yeah. still a Karaite synagogue. Yeah. Are there any Karaites there? Yes. Yeah. The Karaites are different. They're not the Samaritans. The Karaites, unfortunately, are Jewish. The Samaritans, fortunately, are not. See, the, because the, the Karaites are, are Jewish, but they have 
a different kind of way of doing divorces. So according to halacha, they think they're divorced. They may think that they're divorced, but they would they would not be, according to halacha. And therefore, according to halacha, the divorcee marries another person and has, has a child, so the child is a mamza. So they all became, since there's no records, they all became Suffolk Bamzerim, which is not an easy thing to get rid of. So that's the Karaites. The Samaritans, they're not Jewish. So if they want to be Jewish, they can convert. It's an easy conversion because a lot of them keep the mitzvot. Even though today it's not true, the Samaritans that I know are all Israelis. You know, like the regular Israeli. Non, non-religious. Don't they still uh, do a Korban Pesach every year? They do still. They do still. But they don't have any Kohanim. The last Kohen died. They didn't have any children. So they've had to promote a Levi to a Kohen. If they're not Jewish, how do they decide who's a Levi or a Kohen? Good question. <laughs> I guess the one who has the gun. He's the Kohen. Could you be a little more specific about whether it is the Kimata Torah? Let me see. Do That's what the, here, the, the Rabban says it. He says, Beit uh, HaMelech, Vanesiut, right? If you're a king or you have political authority, you could actually do something. You could build a yeshiva, you could build a school, and you don't do it, right? Even if he is very punctilious in his, uh, the way he keeps the, the mitzvot, and he could have spread the Torah with those people, but he says, it's, too, it's not for me, it's not my level, I don't want to talk to those kinds of people. So then he says, that's what the Pesach says. That person is Arur. It's not just teaching the specifics. Look, to me, to me, it makes a lot, a lot of sense that it's very hard to teach the specifics of the Torah to people who don't know about it until they're willing to, they're willing to learn. Okay, but you know, it's it's easy to teach Shabbos. It's very difficult to teach Hilchot Shabbat. You, I don't know if you, you, you know, I hope you agree with me, but. Uh, in other words, you can teach Hilchot Shabbat to people who don't keep Shabbat, but who know about it. And they, they have a certain curiosity about Hilchot Shabbat. But somebody who doesn't know at all what Shabbat is, it's very easy to tell them very general things about taking a day off a week and having social consciousness and, and, and that. But it'd be very hard to teach somebody who's a rank beginner doesn't know anything at all about it, about what is mutar and what is asur, you know, no, it's very hard to make sense out of that. Okay. Have a good Shabbos.